John 16, 16 to 24. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father? So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will, rejo will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will, will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you, will have, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Chrissy. As we begin today, the passage printed and read took you through verse 24. I'm going to focus only on uh, the through verse 22, and then we'll pick up again, Lord willing, next week. The disciples did not know what Jesus was talking about. What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Does that make you feel better? You ever read the Bible, hear the Bible, and not understand it? Have questions, get confused? The disciples had Jesus as their private tutor for three years, and they were confused. They didn't know what he was talking about. The good news is Jesus answered their questions, and they didn't even have to ask. God will do that sometimes in your life. You may have questions, you may have doubts, and without you really even seeking an answer, God will make it clear. He'll show you the truth, the way to peace. We see that happen here. The disciples didn't know what Jesus was talking about. Without them even asking, Jesus spoke the truth to clarify for them the way to peace, the way to life, the way to joy. And essentially, this is what Jesus taught them and what he teaches us in this passage today. For everyone who believes that Jesus died and rose again, Jesus will turn your sorrow, which is all temporary into joy which will be everlasting that's essentially what jesus is saying for everyone every one of us today who believes that jesus died and rose again he will turn our sorrow which is all temporary into joy which will be everlasting this is what jesus says is true do you believe it do you believe it it may be easy to say that we believe it on a Sunday morning in church. But it's very hard to live like we believe it in the ever-present sorrows of daily living. Why is that? Why is that? I think perhaps it's because here in gathered worship, everything is planned and designed and the Spirit is present and you even come ready to focus on the glory of Jesus. 
and the truth of God's word. This is a weekly gift from God to his people to recalibrate our hearts around his glory, these truths. It's an opportunity for us to worship God as we were created to do. So don't miss this, right? As much as possible, make it a priority. God designed this from the very beginning that this weekly gathering of worship would be a feast for his people, a key component of our religious life and worship. But outside of this, it's much easier to focus on the little while, to focus on the very real and difficult and ever-present sorrows of this life and to forget these truths. And so it becomes difficult to trust Jesus. Makes it very tempting to take matters into our own hands. Like Peter taking out his sword and swiping at the man's head. Or living in a world where substance abuse and suicide are rampant or where it seems like there's a new streaming service every week, or where now people spend millions of dollars for a joyride into space. I might want to do that someday. It sounds pretty exciting. But if we don't glorify God in these things, then they don't simply become distractions. They become damaging, and they become destructive. But to us today and to his disciples then, Jesus says in verse 20, Truly, truly, I say to you, that means amen, amen, or indeed it is true. It's, he's saying this for emphasis. Listen, pay attention. What I'm about to say may seem too good to be true, but it is true. Truly, truly, I say to you, for everyone who believes that Jesus died and rose again, Jesus will turn your sorrow which is all temporary, into joy, which is everlasting. That's my summary of what Jesus says in this passage. Now I have to show you from the text why I think this is true. And if I can't do that, then don't believe me. Believe what the text says. But I do trust that the Holy Spirit will help you see it's true as he shines his spotlight on the glory and the truth of our Savior and his word this morning. So to help us see it, we'll begin by asking what Jesus meant. The disciples didn't know, and Jesus explained. So we'll ask, what did Jesus mean? And then we'll consider the centrality, the importance of the death and the resurrection of Christ, and then finally, the everlasting, irrevocable joy. So first, what did Jesus mean? In verse 19, we read, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, a little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me. So Jesus is going to answer that question. He's going to tell them what he meant. The difficulty is trying to discern what Jesus was referring to in his answer. So people who love the Bible and trust the Bible and study the Bible, they come up with three possibilities. And all three, I believe, are faithful to the text, to what Jesus says. So Dr. Rogers, when he was still pastor at Westminster, and he preached on this passage, and Dr. Boyce, when he was pastor at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, and he preached on this passage, they both thought that Jesus answered this way on purpose to allow for this range of meaning. 
I said to think of it like one of those multiple choice questions. Is the answer A, B, C, or D, all of the above? And they said Jesus is answering this way on purpose, so the, the answer is D. All of these are true, valid, biblical options. So here's the three options. We'll just look at them briefly. When Jesus said, a little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while and you will see me, he was referring to the time between his death and his resurrection. Jesus says these words just a few hours before he will die. He's about to be crucified and buried, and then they will not see him. But then, a little while later, just three days later, he rises from the dead and they see him again. So Jesus is talking about that period between his death and his resurrection. That's the first option, and we'll come back to that in a moment. But the second option is that Jesus is talking about the time between his ascension into heaven and the sending of the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost. After Jesus ascended into heaven, the disciples would not see him physically. But when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, and when they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, they then had spiritual eyes to see the glory of Jesus Christ through the spotlight ministry of the Spirit that Jesus sent. And this option has some connection to the context. If you remember, if you were here last week, Jesus has just talked to his disciples about sending the Holy Spirit. He's just talked to them about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Well, the third option is that Jesus is talking about the time between his ascension into heaven and his second coming. Really, the time between his first and his second coming, which makes this relevant to us today, to all believers, really, since Jesus came that first time. Jesus ascended into heaven. The disciples did not see him, but they will see him again when he comes again. And so this is true for all believers. And there's a sense in which we can make Reference to this based on the entire teaching of the scriptures, even if this is not what Jesus had specifically in mind when he said these words here in John 16. But I think what's interesting is that all three of these options make sense to Christians today, but none of them made sense to the disciples at the time. We have the full revelation of the New Testament. We have a great privilege today to have the word of God in our hands. And so we've read about all three of these options. We may have heard sermons preached on all three of these options. The Holy Spirit has guided us into the truth of these historical realities as well as the one coming future reality. So we're familiar with it, but the disciples think about where they're at. They have not lived this yet. Hasn't happened yet. And so they did not understand what Jesus was talking about Yet, but very soon, they would begin to understand the centrality, the importance of his death and then his resurrection. So verses 20 to 22 point me to this option as the main one that Jesus had in mind. Let's let's look at verse 20 again. Jesus begins by saying, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. And every time that word weep is used in John's gospel, it's used in connection with death. With death. The disciples would weep and lament. Why? Because Jesus was about to die. It would lead them to sorrow. Jesus had said, in this world you'll have trouble. And we know that this is a world of suffering. You will be sorrowful. This is a general truth. 
Everyone suffers. Everyone dies. But Jesus here is speaking specifically of his death and the sorrow that his death would bring to his closest friends and followers. And so Jesus says, when this happens, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Remember, we've seen in John's gospel that when John refers to the world in this way, he is referring to those in the world who are living in active rebellion against God. People who have rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And we see this in the New Testament. The, the world rejoiced to see Jesus die. They had rejected him as the Messiah. They mocked and ridiculed their creator, the Holy One. And when he died, they rejoiced. But the disciples would be sorrowful for the moment, for a little while. But Jesus says, your sorrow will turn into joy. Pay careful attention to that. Your sorrow will turn into joy. Jesus doesn't say that joy will follow sorrow or that sorrow will end and joy will begin, but your sorrow will turn into joy. So it's not the exchange of one thing for another. It's the very cause of grief will be turned into the cause of joy. So when the disciples saw Jesus alive again, resurrected from the dead, their sorrow at his death turned into heart-bursting joy at his resurrection. He's alive. And they saw that and they believed it. And then they began to understand. Not perfectly all at once, just like we still see dimly as in a mirror, but then face to face. But they began to understand what Jesus had accomplished in his death so that the very cause for their sorrow turned into the very reason for their joy. So what was it that Jesus accomplished in his death? Why is the death of one person, when everyone dies, why is the death of one person 2,000 years ago so central to our faith, so important to our lives today that it makes all the difference in the world? And beloved, it does. Why is it so important? Remember what John the Baptist said the first time he saw Jesus and he's pointing him out to his disciples? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When the disciples saw the risen Lord, they began to understand. Not only was Jesus the Messiah, God's promised king, but he also, standing before them, was the sacrificial Lamb of God. And it was through his death that he accomplished the salvation of the world, their redemption, the payment for their sins, their liberation from oppression. They understood then that he would not physically conquer their enemies at the time and bring them a political freedom, but he had destroyed their true enemies of sin and death and the devil by his very death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead so they could be truly free forever. And they're enjoying that freedom today, beloved. When they saw the risen Lord, their sorrow at his death was turned into joy at his resurrection. Then they knew without a doubt that Jesus was the Messiah. And one of the ways they showed that faith 
They went from being fearful, closed up, huddled in a room, to dying for that faith. Being put to death because of who Jesus was and what he had done. So they knew without a doubt Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, that they were loved, that they were perfectly accepted by God through him, that they had eternal life, and that they too would rise because Jesus died and rose again. And this brought them unspeakable joy. There's a a newer song, contemporary praise song called You Are My King. Perhaps you've heard it. It begins with these words, Speaking of Jesus as our king, I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me. Why? Because you died and rose again. The centrality of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Beloved, for us to have this joy and all these bountiful blessings... Jesus had to enter into our sorrow. The king of kings had to suffer more than we can imagine while we only suffer for a little while. Jesus uses that phrase, a little while, to refer to the temporary nature of our suffering. We have such a different understanding of time than Jesus, don't we? And our thoughts are so easily influenced. Our thoughts about time, they're so easily influenced by what we are doing in that time. Right? So 10 minutes can seem so different. 10 minutes of enjoying a soft serve twist waffle cone from Little Dippers, trying to eat it all before it melts. Or 10 minutes of watching some funny videos on the internet. Or 10 minutes playing on the playground. That's a little while. But 10 minutes in labor. 10 minutes pulling weeds. 10 minutes waiting in line. 10 minutes cleaning your room. That can feel like an eternity. Beloved, when you are with God's people enjoying God's presence in God's eternal kingdom and your every sorrow has been turned into joy, not only will you never again question whether God's grace was sufficient to cover your sin, but after 10,000 years of eternal bliss beyond your imagination, if you could even remember an earthly sorrow, it would seem but a vapor, a blip, hardly even a blip on the eternal timeline of joy with Jesus that is yours. And truly, it won't take 10,000 years. The moment you see Jesus with your own eyes, the sorrow will be gone and this will be true. You will be filled with joy unspeakable. In verse 21, Jesus uses a very simple illustration to help his disciples understand this, one that is familiar To most of us in one way or another, to some of you, it's much more familiar. Jesus says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Now, I try to send you all birthday cards. If I haven't sent you one, it's because I don't know your birthday. I'd love to know it. 
but maybe I should send the card to your moms instead. Or maybe in addition to, to thank your mothers, not only for carrying you in their wombs for nine months, but for the pain that she endured in giving birth to you. If you've never thanked your mom, today would be a great opportunity to do so. A good day to do it, if you still have that opportunity. But you know what? Your mom doesn't feel that pain today. She doesn't feel that pain. That pain is long forgotten. It's been replaced by what? A joy that came as a result of the pain. New life. A new child is born. And just a side note, Jesus said this before epidurals were invented. No pain meds. This is no joke. Sorrow turned into joy. Well, Jesus follows this illustration in verse 22 by saying, so also, he's making the connection, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. Did you hear the difference? You'll have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. Not you will see me as before, but now I will see you. Why does Jesus say it like this? I don't know. I'm not entirely sure, but I know it's significant. I think perhaps it's because Jesus is the one who will die and rise again. Because Jesus is the one who's about to conquer sin and death and the devil. Or maybe it's because Jesus seeing them and Jesus seeing us is more foundational to our relationship with him than us seeing him. We think of what he said in John 15 to his disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you. He takes the initiative. He forms and finishes the relationship. Or maybe like what Paul says in his testimony in Philippians 3. I referenced the earlier part of it last week. The later part of it, there's just this phrase that just blows me away. I can hardly comprehend it. But Paul says, Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, that's true of every one of you who believe that Jesus died and rose again. Jesus has made you his own, his very own. So you'll have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. Now that same word for rejoice, you've heard it earlier today. The past, the peace passage from John chapter 20. The scriptures say the disciples were glad. There's that same Greek word, the New Testament originally written in Greek and translated, thank the Lord, into English today. But that same word, the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And it actually means they were overjoyed. Hearts bursting with joy. Can you imagine their joy? Well, you can. You can to a certain extent because if you believed that Jesus died and rose again, you've experienced that joy yourself and your own salvation when you came to grasp the meaning of Jesus' death and resurrection. Well, the final point we consider is indeed this, the everlasting, irrevocable joy. Remember, for everyone who believes that Jesus died and rose again, Jesus will turn your sorrow, which is all temporary, into joy, which will be everlasting. 
So verse 22, Jesus says, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, you'll be overjoyed, and no one will take your, your joy from you. And Pastor Tim Keller says that one aspect of joy is having a clean conscience. Having a clean conscience. And the only way to truly have a clean conscience is to trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You cannot have a clean conscience without that. You can have a hard heart. You can have a proud heart. You can have a seared conscience, but not a clean conscience. Because what do you do with all your guilt and all your shame? Well, when you trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, for the righteousness that God requires for eternal life, then, believer in Jesus Christ, you are indeed free from the guilt and power of sin and death. Amen? And one day, you will be free from its very presence. Your hearts rejoice. You have the joy of the Lord, and no one can ever take that joy from you. Why? Because it's a different kind of joy and gladness. It's not based on people. It's not based on possessions. It's not based on your present circumstances. Now you can seek and you can find joy in this world in those things, people, possessions, present circumstances, but it's fleeting. It doesn't last. And listen, you can take it to the bank. You, don't, you may not know me well. You may not trust me yet, but... That kind of joy always ends in sorrow and pain and loss and disappointment. But if you seek and find that joy in Jesus, it is true and lasting and eternal and it only gets better. The joy we have in Jesus today is nothing compared to the joy we'll have in Jesus in eternity. For this joy is not dependent on people or possessions or present circumstances. This joy comes from being united to Jesus Christ by faith. It comes from believing in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, from a growing understanding of what that says is true about Jesus and what he has accomplished on our behalf. Beloved, Jesus will never die again. And you, being united to him by faith, though you die Yet shall you live. You have been raised with him and you will be raised with him. So the only way you could lose this joy is if Jesus could die again. Or if your union with him could be severed. Then your joy could be taken away. But beloved, neither of those things is possible. Jesus can never die again and those who trust in him cannot be snatched out of his hand. You cost too much. He's not letting you go. So the joy he gives can never be taken away. Amen. You can lose everything else. Some of you have. You can lose your health, your family, your job, your friends, your possessions. You can lose your mind. You can lose your freedom, your pleasure. Everything that this world has to offer. But you cannot lose this joy. And it only gets better. Beloved, do you know 
that none of us who have trusted in Jesus, we have not had the happiest moment of our lives yet. And we've had some happy moments, haven't we? The birth of children is a happy moment. Many of us, not all of us, but many of us have enjoyed. Coming to faith in Christ is an incredibly happy moment. But we have not even come close to the happiest moment of our lives. None of us have experienced the fullness of joy that will be ours. And we so often focus on the little while. We so often focus on the sorrow. And we judge the character of God based on that, don't we? Or we respond with worry or anxiety or fear or doubt. We, we take matters into our own hands. We try to force the result that we want and the timing that we prefer. And that doesn't typically go well. You know, many of you heard we've, we've bought a home and uh, we, we're, we're planning to do a lot of work on it before we move in. So this week we started Demo Day. That's a lot of fun. I, that's fun. Gotta admit, taking down walls, ripping out carpet, that kind of stuff. But, but Amy, so there's some trim around some doors that Amy said, let's take that down, we might reuse it, you know, save some money in this remodeling process. So I was taking some down, and the bottom of it was stuck with, in, in the carpet. So I thought, okay, I guess I should take that carpet out, take it out first. But, you know, that's going to turn a little while into a longer while. It's going to be hard. Might cause some minor suffering on my part. So I thought, well, maybe I can just finagle it, force it. I mean, I have a crowbar in my hand. What's it for, right? So it turns out I can get it out, but not in one piece. Now it's broken. Don't tell Amy. We so often focus on the little while, the sorrow, the hardship, and we take matters into our own hands, and it doesn't end well. It leads to a lot more pain and regret than a simple piece of broken trim. But the scriptures exhort us, they encourage us, they tell us the truth. The scriptures exhort us to focus on our Savior, on the eternal, on the joy. Colossians chapter 3. If then, beloved, you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Why? For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I wonder if you've ever gone on a trip, and you have said or heard the words, Are we there yet? You know, if you have kids and it's a 10-hour trip, you hear that in the first two minutes and then multiple times along the way. Beloved, we're on a journey. We're not there yet. But we are almost home. We're on our way. Almost 200 years ago, John Newton told the story of a man traveling to New York to collect an inheritance of a million dollars. I didn't do the math to translate what that would be today, 200 years, but it would be a lot. You wouldn't hurt for money for the rest of your life. But when he's just a mile outside of New York, a wheel on his carriage breaks. And so he has to walk that last mile. And all the way to New York, he grumbles, my carriage is broken. My carriage is broken. What would you think of such a man? What's he focused on? He's focused on the little while, the sorrow. Newton says, 
That's us. That's what we are. We're on our last mile. Beloved, we're on our way to inherit the universe. All the wealth of God. God himself. And what do we so often do? I grumble. We get distraught by the difficulty. We fail to understand what Jesus has said and what Jesus has done for us. All that he has accomplished for us in his death and resurrection Or we fail to find comfort in our gentle and lowly Savior who is full of compassion. He knows our sorrows. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Well, beloved, today I encourage you to remember. To remember, to believe, to trust, to remind yourself of where you are headed on this journey. The eternal home that Jesus is preparing for you. The fullness of joy that will be yours that can never be taken away and thus take your eyes off your present circumstances, off what is seen and fix them squarely on Jesus and the joy that will be yours forever. Beloved, Jesus died and rose again and so your every sorrow, which is temporary, will be turned into joy, which is everlasting. Do you believe this? Amen.